Today we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, continuing on in our series through the book of Luke. So Luke 11, uh, 1 to 13. Starting uh, in verse 1 of chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up, get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened." Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would uh, speak to us this morning. Lord, you know every one of us here, and, and we pray that your Spirit would cut through all the noise and distraction and things that weigh on us and speak your words of life into our souls. Build us up, renew us, transform us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, probably uh, many of you know uh, we have a, a dog, a silver lab, named Wyatt. And he's a great dog, great family dog, but like any dog, he can also be kind of annoying sometimes. And on Sunday afternoons, I am usually exhausted, and after we have lunch, I just want to go into our room and take a nap. And so I'll go in there, close the door, lay down on the bed, uh, usually watch a bit of a YouTube video to kind of relax, and then I'll close my eyes, hoping to get in a nice power nap. And as soon as I'm starting to fall asleep, without fail, there is this scratching sound on the door. And I've tried everything. I think, I'm just going to act like I'm not in here, and maybe he'll go away. And I wait, and sure enough, scratch, scratch, and then I think, well, eventually he'll get bored, and he won't, he'll just go away. Scratch, (laughs) scratch, sometimes he'll start to whine, and there's like 10 to 15 seconds between each scratch so that it's long enough that I think, oh, maybe he actually has gone away, and I start to relax and fall asleep, and then there's another scratch. And so my frustration is growing. I just want to stay in the bed. It's nice and warm. I want to take a nap. I don't want to get out of bed. 
But Wyatt always wins. I get up and I let him in and he hangs out in his crate. And then I pray that he doesn't decide in five minutes that he needs to go back outside again, which also happens. I've never had a neighbor come knocking on my door at midnight wanting some butter and eggs, but I've had plenty of dogs and children trying to get into my room when I'm asleep. And I think it's basically the same principle. Because I want some peace and quiet, I'll give in to their demands, even if I don't want to give them that thing that they're asking for. Right? They want ice cream? Sure, fine. You want to watch YouTube for eight hours? Fine. You want to eat all the candy that you found in the pantry? That's fine. I just want 30 minutes of sleep. And Jesus uses a similar story to illustrate something about God and prayer. If you open the door for your dog, primarily just because you're annoyed at him, how much more do you think that God will open the door for the things that you ask about? Now, I think that's opposite of how we tend to think of God. And we tend to think of God as someone who's actually generally annoyed with us, kind of like that dog that is incessantly scratching at the door and can't decide if he wants to go in or out. We think, oh, oh, I know God loves me, but he'll, and I know he'll feed me twice a day and he'll take me to the vet, but a lot of the time he's probably annoyed with me because I don't live up to his expectations. Because heaven is so peaceful without us always knocking on heaven's door. But here's what I want you to remember. Don't be afraid to pray because God loves you like a good father. Don't be afraid to pray. Don't be reluctant to pray. Because God loves you like a good father. And we're going to look at this just two ways. First, a model prayer. And then second, a good father. So first, a model prayer. Jesus is spending some time praying. And the disciples see something about his own prayers, which makes them wish that they knew how to pray like he did. Have you ever prayed with someone who, just in their prayer and and the way they speak, it seems to give you this window into their relationship with God and their faith and their trust, and it makes you yearn for something like that, to be able to pray like that. It's a good reminder of how valuable it is, not just to pray on your own, but to pray with other people, because we can often learn from each other and encourage one another in our prayers, that prayer shouldn't always just be a private thing. Now, I know lots of us are uncomfortable in praying in front of others. And, and particularly, people are uncomfortable praying in front of someone they think is more mature Christian than they are. But I can tell you, as a pastor at least, I love to hear other people pray. Pastors, we always have to pray. So it's nice to hear the voices of somebody else, not just because it gives us a break, but because it's such a delight to hear other people speak to God on their own. And it doesn't matter how eloquent you are. Sometimes the most simple prayers are the most encouraging for me. There's something just beautiful about hearing God's people in their own way cry out and speak to God in prayer. The the prayers that are actually discouraging for me to hear are are not the ones where the the person doesn't know, know the right words or is just kind of new to prayer, but it's the ones where it feels like the person is overconfident in their ability to pray and is praying more for what other people will think of him or her instead of just praying to God. So I would encourage you, are you praying with other Christians? Each Sunday before the service, we do a short 15-minute prayer time. Uh, it, it kicks off at 9.30 and would encourage you to come to that. 
Make an effort to say, you know, I'm going to come once every month or once every eight weeks to that prayer time. That's not a very small commitment. And yet it would be so encouraging for the people there and for you as well to show up and to pray with God's people. Right now, I realize that you'll probably forget about it. So set a reminder in your phone, right? Every eight weeks, remind me, get to church 15 minutes early to pray with other Christians. Well, something about Jesus' prayer makes the disciples hungry for growth in their own prayer life. And so they ask, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his own disciples to pray. And then Jesus gives them this template for prayer. And it's interesting because prayer is something that we tend to think of, oh, it's a, it's a spiritual thing, or it's something only a few people can be good at. But, but Jesus doesn't treat prayer as this mystical thing that's hard to obtain, but he treats it more like a workout plan. Here, do this template, follow this, and you'll grow in your ability to pray. pray. That prayer is more like exercising a muscle and training a set of skills, something that you can grow, than it is right, something mysterious that just kind of comes upon you. You've got to use these skills in order to grow at them. And then Jesus gives us a version of the Lord's Prayer. And it's probably different from the one that you're used to reciting, if you've ever recited the Lord's Prayer, which that one usually comes from the book of Matthew. And I, I think this is a good reminder that the Lord's Prayer isn't just something that we kind of uh, repeat word for word, although it can be valuable to simply do that. But Jesus treats the Lord's Prayer more as a template of showing you what a balanced prayer looks like to have a healthy prayer life. In your own diet, you want to have the right mix of protein and carbs and fiber and fat and all those things, and it's the same with prayer. And so use the Lord's Prayer to analyze your own prayer life. Where are you strong? What areas do you need to supplement? I'm going to cover just briefly some of the, the key lines in this prayer, but there's a lot of helpful guides that you can find to go into more depth on it, which I'd encourage you to check out. One is simply called A Simple Way to Pray by Martin Luther, the, the well-known reformer. And he actually wrote it for his barber while Martin Luther was getting a haircut. His barber asked him, how do you pray? And so he went home and wrote this little pamphlet just for his barber to teach him. And, and now we have that as well. And you can find that for free online if you just Google it, A Simple Way to Pray by Martin Luther. And Jesus opens with the words, Father. This is a word we've just kind of gloss over, and yet don't miss the significance of it. It's what gives us the confidence to pray. Neighbors knock on the front door of your house, but children knock on the bedroom door. Sometimes. Other times they just barge in, right, or try to find another way when you've got it locked. That's the privilege of being a child. Right? If your neighbor did that, you would call the police. And if your child does that, you might be annoyed, but they can do that because they're your kid. And it's the same with our access to God. He's our Father. That we don't have to wait out in the cold, knocking, hoping someone is there, hoping someone hears you in the middle of the night to let you in. And God is a good Father. He's the best Father. Which means He's not annoyed at your interruption, but He always welcomes you into His presence. Hallowed be your name. We spend so much time thinking about our own names, right? Of when, when someone throws you under the bus at work 
or when you, uh, what your neighbors think of you, or you know, what they think of how well you keep your lawn, or, or whatever it is. Right? We are always thinking about our names, our plans, our reputation, our successes. And the Lord's Prayer reminds us that thinking about your name is always a losing game. It, it leads to a, a, to a type of inward slavery where you're just always obsessed about yourself and can never get out of your own mind. And so to hallow God's name isn't just to recognize that he alone is worthy, but actually frees you from being so wrapped up in your own self. It's incredibly freeing and joy-filled to live for God instead of living for yourself, which is what we naturally do. Your kingdom come. This ties into that previous phrase, because just as we're often wrapped up in our own name, we're wrapped up in our own kingdoms our own plans for the future, our own visions for what we want our life to look like or our family to look like or our career to look like. And this reminds us that there is one kingdom, one life goal that will not turn to dust or ashes in the end. And that's God's kingdom. It's also a cry for God to bring justice to all the places where there's suffering and injustice in our world. That God's kingdom is the true place of peace. And we see so many places where there's this big gap in between how things ought to be and how they actually are. We pray for God's kingdom to come soon. It's a cry for God to return soon, preferably before the next election. But even if all hell breaks loose in this fast approaching election, it's a reminder that God's kingdom is coming and things will be okay in the long run, even if they aren't in our own country. And so we put our hope and trust in God's kingdom more than any earthly kingdom or any earthly ruler. And we have that optimism that things are going to work out in the end because God and Jesus is king. Give us each day our daily bread. It's good to pray for your requests. Pray for your needs. Pray for the things that you you need this very day. And it's also a reminder that we don't deserve anything from them, that even to ask for daily, that we don't deserve anything from God, to ask even for daily bread is something that we need to do. That everything we have is a gift from God. And, And notice he doesn't say ask for a month's supply of bread, Right? The Costco prayer. And we, we've lost uh, touch with the meaning of daily bread because who needs daily bread when you have deep freezers? Right? And yet, isn't the deep freezer and all of the amenities we have, right? The, the just gross amounts of food that we have access to, a mark of a God's provision for us? Right? That unlike so many throughout human history, we don't struggle with starvation like many did and malnutrition. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Our willingness to be forgiven by God is tied to our willingness to forgive others. Scripture warns of the danger if you are holding resentment or grudges towards others in your life if they're people that you say you can't forgive. Now, the question always comes up, but what if they don't ask for forgiveness? And David Paulson, in his book, 
good and angry, um, which we used to have out on the book, well, I'm not sure if it's still there. He talks about how there's a vertical and a horizontal access to forgiveness, a vertical towards God and a horizontal towards other people. Meaning that if someone wrongs you and they might never come and ask you for forgiveness, but you can still forgive them on that vertical plane before God. And this deals with your attitude towards them because if you can forgive them before God, your heart will be softened and your attitude will be better towards them. And this is something we are all called to do regardless of whether that person ever asked for forgiveness. And then if they do end up asking for forgiveness because you have been working in your own heart to forgive them before God, if or when they come, you will be much more able to have the attitude to truly forgive them on that horizontal plane. And lead us not into temptation. Are you aware of the particular temptations that you are susceptible to? And every one of us, we have, you know, pick your poison, your thing that is just particularly tempting for you. And if you don't know what that is, then spend some time thinking about it this week and exploring it. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe uh, it's your own health. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's recognition. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's acceptance with others. Do you know what those areas of temptation are? And do you pray that God would deliver you from those particular struggles of sin? And this brings us then to that second point, a good father. Jesus tells a story of this person who has visitors come to his home. They show up late, and, and like a good host, he's going to provide them food, but he doesn't have any food, and it's in the middle of the night. And, and we have to remember some of the culture back then. Back then, there wasn't McDonald's. That if you're traveling, you just swing through the drive-thru and get some food because they're open 24-7. You've been walking all day, probably, and you're hungry. And then you get to your host's home, and because there's not refrigerators full of food, it's not like they can just have a bunch of food sitting around. And so it'd be a very typical type issue. Now, you might not have been in that situation, but you can maybe sympathize if you've ever had a dog scratching at the door in the middle of the night, or a kid knocking on your door, or a baby crying in her crib. Right? And you, you feel that frustration. Is she going to quiet down? Do I need to go in there? I've been in there five times already. I just want some sleep. Everybody... Every parent is philosophically against the pacifier until there's that one night where it's 3 a.m. and you're just tired and you just will do anything to get them to sleep through the night. And so you just try everything. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. He's saying, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you anything you need. And then Jesus goes on to say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. It's like Jesus is saying, you know what the key to prayer is? Shameless audacity. Ask for these big things and do it, you know, incessantly. Like, is this literally what Jesus is saying? Like, God, okay, I want a Lamborghini. (laughs) Or I'd be happy with a nice three-bedroom cabin up in the mountains. And I'm not going to stop asking until you give me this thing. I mean, this is the the difficulty with this passage because any pastor is going to feel uncomfortable making this point that Jesus is making. 
that God is like this better neighbor who if you just keep pounding on the door, God's going to open and it will be given to you. This seems too easy, too easy to be abused or misunderstood. This is really what Jesus is saying about how God answers prayer. And then for many of us here in this room, you say, but what about all those things that I have been praying for, for years or for decades, for half my life, and I've been knocking all night and God hasn't done anything. And these are things that are way more noble than just asking for a Lamborghini. Things like asking for one of your children to come back to know the Lord, for a sickness to be healed, a relationship to be restored. And you feel like I've been pounding on the door all night and it feels like God has taken some sleeping pills and he's not hearing me. So what do we make of Jesus' words here? Well, this is where it's important to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And even within this passage, we see some, some bounds to what Jesus is saying, that we can't divorce what he's saying from even the Lord's Prayer that comes right before this. We're in the Lord's Prayer. It's a request for daily bread. And then Jesus tells a story that deals with asking for daily bread. He doesn't tell the story of a guy knocking on your neighbor's door at midnight asking for some bread for some guests that are coming in a week, but for some immediate need right now. And in our congregation, you know, there are, I know, many things that you have been praying for for years. And if you wonder, why does God not answer? Why does he not change these things? And yet at the same time, I can say, and, and I've got as good a view of anyone within the congregation that there are so many times when there come up acute needs for someone in the church, something very specific, something that is needed right away, whether it's a health thing or a financial thing, whatever it is, and God provides for that in a way we didn't expect. And that happens way more often than we realize, that God does provide for the daily needs of people in the church. And part of the problem is, is we just take so much of this for granted that we, we don't have eyes to see it because maybe we're wrapped up in all these other things or because we don't really trust God. One of the things I've really appreciated about those times I've gone over to Kenya is listening to the prayers they give before we sit down for dinner or another meal. Right? Pastor Sam and Amos and, and many of the other Kenyans over there, the way that they give thanks for their food and the other things they've had, whether it's just get the drive back to their house after class, shows a reliance on God for daily bread in a way that we often forget because of things like Costco and refrigerators and all this other stuff. So let's not forget all the ways that God has provided us daily bread that we just tend to take it for granted. We also need to remember other passages in Scripture, like James 4.3, where it says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And in how many of the requests that we make to God, in the end, are more about our name being hallowed, our kingdom coming, more than about God's kingdom. 
Now, we're great kind of press secretaries in the sense that we can make all ki- put all kinds of spin on what we're wanting to say how it's actually going to be for God, right? Oh, well, I would do this for you. I would do that for you. But if you kind of just scrubbed away all the fluff at the core, you're asking what you want because you're asking it for more selfish reasons than God-honoring reasons. Well, let's then, with those ideas, get back to what Jesus says here. I think the most simple and satisfactory answer to what Jesus is saying is that Jesus can say these big, bold statements that we feel kind of uncomfortable with because Jesus is the one who knows the character of God better than any of us. He knows how big God's heart is. He knows how much he cares for his people. He knows how much God listens to every request that you've made to him. Jesus has seen behind that door that you're knocking on. He's seen into the Father's home. But all we do is we stand out there and we're knocking out in the cold and we start to doubt. Is God asleep? Is he even home? I knew God wouldn't answer me for this. I I knew I wasn't good enough. I knew he didn't care about this. I figured he wouldn't answer. But Jesus is seen behind that door that we stand at to the Father's heart. And he knows that he doesn't treat your prayers like the leave a comment box that just gets dumped into the trash every four months and no one ever reads it. But he knows that God carefully, the Father carefully notes every request you've made, recording it in his book, waiting for just the right time and right way to respond. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty-seven, 27, where he says, no one knows the Son. Jesus says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And Jesus then can give this illustration that we're afraid to because he actually knows the heart of the Father. He knows how big it is. He knows how generous it is. He knows how much he actually loves you and cares for you more than is annoyed with you. And so he can say, if you could only see his heart, you would not worry about any of these things. If you could only see how deep his love is, you would be at peace with everything that he's doing. I think this passage gives us such an incredible insight to that very heart of God, how much He actually cares for you. How much God is willing to answer the prayers of even sinners. Do you notice that here? Jesus is addressing his disciples, and yet he calls them evil in verse 13. And, And the implication is, this isn't how God answers the prayers for the top 1% of the Christians. Right? The top prayers in the world who get up early and pray extra hours every day and, and have memorized the Bible and are much more holy than you. No, this is God's attitude towards sinners who keep screwing up. And he has this heart of love for you. Do you see how much God loves sinners? And I would guess that if someday you could see the entire arc of your life and all the ups and downs and the heartbreaks and the disappointments and those years of praying and knocking and waiting, you would be shocked at how over those decades God actually has worked out and will work out so many things that you feel burdened by right now. But we are just so wrapped up 
in the next seven days and how we feel and an underlying mistrust of God. But what if you started to pray with the trust that you're praying to a good heavenly Father who takes note of everything that you ask for, even the little prayers you mutter under your breath, and he delights in answering them as much as he can. But instead, so many of us, we kind of are more like Eeyore, right? We kind of have this thing that we would like, think, oh, well, that would be nice, but I know God probably won't answer it. I don't even know why I bothered asking for it, because I knew he wasn't going to do it in the end. But God isn't trying to take a nap up in heaven and annoyed every time you're scratching on the door with something that you're asking for. And again, that's what makes this passage so striking. In this last section, Jesus makes this other comparison. If you're a child and ask for a fish, if your child asks you for a fish, would you give him a snake? Or if she asks you for an egg, would you give her a scorpion? And the imagery here is your child's asking you for some food, some daily bread. And even a bad parent, if they have a hungry kid, isn't going to go out and find some roadkill and throw it at their kid and say, here, have this. Right? It's a basic, basic parental instinct that you give your kid food. So how much more will God give you the things you need? But deep down, I think many of us fear that when we ask for a fish, God's going to give me a snake. I asked for health, and I got sick again. I asked for some financial stability, and I got another big unexpected bill in the mail. I knew God was going to give me a snake. Why did I get my hopes up? But Jesus is saying no. I've seen on the other side of that door, I know God's heart. You're suspicious of his goodness. But if you could only see how much he loves you, you wouldn't worry about all those things. And you would realize it's all going to be okay. And that we're more like that little kid who can't see around the corner, but the parent knows it's all going to be okay. Just keep showing up, keep trusting. I'm going to take care of it. And Jesus then doesn't end the passage by saying, how much more will the Father give you anything that you ask? But no, he says something specific. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think this shows God's priority in how he's going to answer our prayers. That in answering your prayers, he kind of runs it through this heuristic or grid of, what is going to help this child, this person that I love, look more like Christ in the end? And that's one of the most important things I think he takes into account when he's answering our prayers. Will this, will this lead them to look more like Jesus? And if we're honest, if every single one of your prayers got answered today, it would probably lead you away from Christ instead of towards him. It would probably make you more self-sufficient or more distracted or in love with all these things than being dependent on Christ. And that's why I think for so many of our prayers, God listens to them, and it's like he puts them on his shelf to answer them in just the right time. And part of prayer is not just us making our requests known to God, but it's God then working in your own life to shape your life, to shape your character, 
so that you will be ready to receive his good gifts and use them for his glory instead of just using them for your own ends. And often the way that God will answer, it's not like God says, all right, you know, when's John going to stop giving his request because he really just needs the Holy Spirit? But no, God actually answered those requests to give us the Holy Spirit, to mold us into Christ in a way that is often organically tied to our requests in the first place. He doesn't just throw them out. He weaves it all together into a beautiful tapestry. And think of all the prayers that you've given that you've forgotten about. God hasn't forgotten a single one of them. And he's shaping your life so that you can receive the good and unimaginable blessings that he has prepared for you in glory. And how much more would you pray if you prayed with that deep trust that I know God hears every prayer and I know that he's going to answer everyone that he can in a way that will lead me more to him, even if I don't see how it's all going to work out. And God is looking at the whole of your life. There's prayers you've forgotten, even though he hasn't forgotten them. There are things that you're praying for in that moment, though, that if you could have seen the big picture, you would have prayed differently. And God answers you in view of the big picture. There's things that you'd be praying for years that maybe you'd give up on, and then God suddenly surprises you and says, now you're, you're ready for this. And then there are things that you've longed for, and they're past being answered. You received a painful, unchangeable no. But what does Jesus say? You still get the Holy Spirit. You get God himself. That is always there, and in God there are pleasures forevermore. And so even in those no's, God is drawing you to come to him and to realize that he is better than any of those other things, and he's the one we need most of all. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us Lord, to deeply trust you as the best father. To not be suspicious of you, to not worry that you're just kind of waiting to take this latest good thing away from us or to let us have another big disappointment. But Lord, help us to see Jesus' words and what they show us about your heart that your goodness is so much bigger than we can imagine, and we pray that you would help us to trust you even when we can't make sense of what's happening right now. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.